0: When I started going to Detroit in the late 80s, the Detroit Techno Underground scene was predominantly African American. So when two white kids came over, there was some eyebrows that were raised and like, what are you guys doing? Like,
1: do you know where you are? Das ist der Telekom Electronic Beats Podcast, der Podcast rund um Nachtleben und Clubkultur. Wir sprechen mit DJs, Türstehern, Tänzern, Clubbetreibern und anderen Nachtmenschen. Mein Name ist Gesine Kühne. Und ich bin Jakob Töne. Herzlich Willkommen beim Electronic Beats Podcast. Herzlich Willkommen beim Electronic Beats Podcast. Mein Name ist Gesine Kühne und heute erwartet euch wieder ein ganz besonderes Special. Wir haben nämlich Anfang Juni einen Live-Podcast in der Factory in Berlin veranstaltet, mit keinem geringeren als Richie Horton. Ja, Der Mann ist eine Legende. Ihr kennt ihn vielleicht auch unter den Pseudonymen Plastic Man Fuse oder auch Circuit Breaker. Und es war mir persönlich eine Riesenehre, ich habe ihn vorher noch nie getroffen, ihn für euch und den Electronic Beats Podcast zu interviewen. Ein ganz kleiner exklusiver Kreis konnte beim Interviewer schon dabei sein. Jetzt mit einem Klick könnt ihr alle das Gespräch hören. Das wurde übrigens auf Englisch geführt. Auch eine kleine Neuheit und Ausnahme, weil Richie einfach eine große Nummer ist. Richie und ich sprechen über sein neues Projekt Close Combined und seine faszinierende AV-Close-Live-Show, mit der er gerade tourt. Richie ist bekannt dafür, eine riesige Affinität zur Technologie zu haben. Das heißt, er entwickelt auch Geräte, musikalische Geräte immer weiter. Und jetzt hat er zusammen mit Electronic Beats eine interaktive App entwickelt, die heißt Close Combined. Darüber sprechen wir und natürlich aber auch Über Clubkultur. Ich bin gespannt, was ihr so davon haltet. Bewertet unseren Podcast doch gern bei iTunes oder schreibt uns euer Feedback bei Instagram oder auch an podcast.electronicbeats.net. Bevor das Gespräch mit Richie Horton aber losgeht, möchte ich euch auf die Kampagne Hashtag dabei von der Deutschen Telekom hinweisen. Wahrscheinlich kennen einige die Kampagne schon aus dem Fernsehen. Wir sind heute alle miteinander vernetzt. Ihr kennt das, ein gutes Funknetz und schnelles mobiles Internet. Das ist vielerorts so gang und gäbe. Die Deutsche Telekom arbeitet stetig daran, dieses Netz noch besser und schneller zu machen, damit wir wirklich alle immer erreichbar und miteinander connected sind. Mit Hashtag dabei möchte die Deutsche Telekom jeden in diese digitale Gesellschaft mit einbeziehen. Also jeder soll die Chance haben, dabei sein zu können, egal ob auf dem Land oder in der Großstadt, ob es der Nachbar ist von nebenan oder der Raver, der Weltenbummler. Sogar eure Großeltern sollen dabei sein. Kurz zusammengefasst, Teilhabe ist hier das Stichwort. Wenn es nach der Deutschen Telekom geht, sollen alle Teil der digitalen Gemeinschaft sein, ohne irgendwelche Ausnahmen. Für mehr Infos zur Kampagne, klickt einfach telekom.com slash dabei. Nun aber zu meinem Gespräch mit Richie Horton. Richie Horton, ich freue mich mega, dass du hier bist. (lacht) So, Richie Horton. You're around for a long time. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit, over 20 years, so we just have a tiny number here. And of course, with the podcast, we do start out a bit where the gritty part is. Where did it all start out? And it was with you when you were 15. You already had your first club experience, I saw. Was that everything you expected? What was your feeling when you went into a club for the very very first time? And just for a short explanation, the Electronic Beats podcast is about club culture. That's why we go into those topics as well.
0: Well, um, I think probably the first clubs I was going to were not in Detroit. They were in Windsor, Ontario. So it was very, very small, I would say, teenage clubs, because I would have been 15 or 16, um, But I was, you know, I grew up in a household full of music and actually quite a lot of electronic music. So from a very early age, I was very interested in going out and dancing and listening to cool music. At that point, it was more new, new wave, you know, new order, um, front 242, Nitsurep and things like that. But growing up in Canada, It very quickly became very small. You know, there was 20 or 30 friends who liked cool music. The rest of the people looked at you like you were weird or a freak or a fag. That's what they would say back then. It was like anything that was a bit out of the norm, you kind of stuck out. And so quickly, as a bit of an outsider in Windsor, you looked over to the other side of the border for you have to meet other people mm-hmm. you felt you know connected to
1: just to um put it into geographically i don't know if you've been to detroit or to windsor in canada it is literally just across the bridge so there's a river kind of dissecting those two uh, parts of, of of the world there's detroit this dark very dangerous city of the United States. And then you have Windsor, which is a tiny town which uh, has the biggest attractions like an outlet mall or something. <laughs> and there's this way over the bridge which is the border. And all of a sudden, you're in either uh, world, either tiny town or dangerous Detroit. So, yeah, the,
0: yeah. In 1979, Detroit was considered the murder capital of America or of the world. So it was... A place where most people didn't want to go and most parents of teenagers in the 80s did not want their kids to go to Detroit. You know I I emigrated with my mom and dad in 79 so we were kind of outsiders anyway and my mom and dad were quite um, adventurous and they wanted they wanted to go to Detroit themselves and see what this big city was they wanted to go shopping so I was already kind of the, the doorway was already open for me so uh, you know, I would go to high school and people would be like, w- what did you do on the weekend? I was like, oh, it was in Detroit clubbing. It was like, Detro- it was like you had said, like, the, 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 the darkest, weirdest w- word, you know, they, they couldn't believe you would go over there mm. as a 16-year-old.
1: But not only people from Canada were amazed that you go over to Detroit to club, also the people on the other side, those guys that did those techno tunes you were so into, were quite amazed that this tiny white boy comes over to club in Detroit.
0: Yeah, well, there was actually a bi-directional thing because in Detroit and Michigan, the alcohol drinking law was that you needed to be 21 or over. And in Canada, you only had to be 19 or over. So as I was looking for kind of music and culture, I was going to Detroit. And for the Detroiters who were looking just to, you know, I honestly, like just go out drinking and Mm -hmm. pick up girls, they were all coming to Windsor. So it was a really weird time of these two kind of very uh, symbiotic um, cities that really depended on each other. But you are definitely correct that um, when I started going to Detroit in the late 80s, the... Detroit techno underground scene was very, very small, uh, very tight, and predominantly African-American. So Mm -hmm. when two white kids, you know, 16, 17-year-old white kids came over, because I was with my brother, there was some eyebrows that were raised. And like, what are you guys doing? Like, do you know where you are? (laughs) But because the scene was so small at that point, you know, everybody was really welcoming, yeah no, like not like here 's you know giving everybody hugs, but it was like, okay, if you 've found this place, if you 've come over from Windsor, you must know what 's going on or be curious, mm. and if you 're on the dance floor, you know in the middle of a dark room with a strobe light, and Derek May was playing, and Kevin Juan, if you were there, somehow you were part of this unwritten family
1: and apparently it left uh, quite some impression on you otherwise you wouldn't have started DJing pretty shortly after
0: yeah like you know I I was um, not only was I a white kid from Windsor I was a introverted white nerd kid from from Windsor who probably wasn't so comfortable in my own skin and I never thought Like when I was in high school, my friends, my cool friends were in a band and they got on stage and did all this, you know, or in theater, there was friends who were actors. I was a guy, you know, helping design the set or build the set. And I was the guy behind the scenes. And so one of the really interesting things about electronic music was that you could do everything yourself and you could be in the corner and take control of, the whole experience, but actually nobody cared who you were. If you were, did your job right, if you, you know, played music at the right time in the right way, you know, you had so much power. You had it was just so, so exhilarating, so exciting, and I'd, it was something I would never thought I would be able to entertain people. Mm. So.
1: So you, you still had. A bit of the security of a DJ booth or all, all this technical equipment to hide behind because you were this nerdy computer kid. But at the same time, you were able to entertain.
0: Yeah, like, you know, later on, I, I you know, which I guess we'll talk about for the closed shows. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, made the decision to open the two tables and, you know, that took a, a while to get used to because you feel days, completely naked in front of people. The table in front as a DJ is like, it's definitely like a, a security blanket.
1: you said already you came from England with your family, you moved to Canada um, with the age of nine, and your dad got a job as a robotics technician, was that? Yeah. And was that very influential for you? I mean, you said there was already electronic music in your household because he listened to Kraftwerk, but also with the technical equipment that came along with DJing, for example?
0: For sure. Anytime I wanted something for Christmas that was electronic that my dad could also play with or help build, I got it. usually got two of them or something. So there was like sets where you put wires together and you made um, a, your own little transistor radio and blinking lights. And so, you know, and and my dad was also a big hi-fi collector, so he would buy a turntable and whatever he bought never seemed to be good enough. So he would take it apart and modify it and make it better or sometimes break it. So I think there was a electronic curiosity with my dad. And somehow I saw that and his openness to that definitely helped me get exposed to computers. And, um, yeah, like technology and computers. I just felt again to that idea of, you know, being in the, in the corner of the DJ booth. And being introverted, but still communicating with people, that's what technology always allowed me to do. You know, when I was, you know, fourteen, thirteen, I sat at home and pro- programmed, you know, games and things. And I remember then I would, you know, give my friends these games, and they could play them. So it was another way to communicate with people, mm-hmm. but I could do it all myself, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Was electronic music like your only go-to because it was like about knobs and and programming no, more I than think instruments? No,
0: I think it was partly because I could take control and do everything myself. You know, it's one of the things I love about electronic music. It's nothing against. Bands or people collaborating, but the you know the the opportunity that an individual has to use technology to get their own unique vision out, I think is really powerful and it's something that's always really inspired me. Um, so there's that, and because you know even when I didn't know what music really was, and my dad was sitting in front of his hi-fi, there was things like Emerson, Lake and Palmer. There was Craftwork. There was Pink Floyd. Uh, Tangerine Dream, like, that was what I grew up with, even when I didn't know it. Like, uh, later on, I I put a Tangerine Dream record on, or like 20 years later, I put uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon on, and I knew the album, but it was, for me, the first time I'd actually put it on myself. So I think I was just in tune with the frequencies that those machines made.
1: Was it something your friends frowned upon because there was this nerdy white guy, all of a sudden into electronic music, maybe something that wasn't so around in Canada, although there was Detroit just around the corner.
0: No, I was definitely the 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 weirdo in my school. Um, um, there was a very, and I really remember, including my brother, there was three or four or five other friends who. Really liked there was there was a gang that liked alternative music or new wave, but then there was the smaller gang that started to get into electro and then later techno and the, the real pure strain of, of of electronic music. You mentioned and, and and Detroit was such a barrier, like it was like know that there's people who wanted to go to Detroit but they just either they were afraid of what might happen or what their parents would say you know we're still in our teenage years and I was the kid who one of my first concerts in Detroit 15 or 16 after my parents went to bed while well, I thought they were in bed I opened my window I jumped out and my your friend picked me up, we went to Detroit, then saw a concert, and then came back, climbed back into bed and went to school the next day like nobody knew it had happened.
1: Mm. Uh, just when we met earlier today, we were saying uh, Detroit and Windsor, it's, uh, it's a bit of a funny story because I went there a couple of years ago in the car with my best friend in detroit buttons down in the car because to be safe of course and as soon as we were over the bridge buttons up because it was canada so it was definitely a whole different story than it is today i guess
0: yeah it it, things yeah definitely it's it's different um than it is today um it, it was a very specific moment in the history of those two cities there was a tunnel and a bridge, you had to show some kind of ID, but it was very easy to go back and forth. There was no homeland security or, you know, n- normally just like a, a driver's license. The driver's license didn't say you were Canadian or, or whatever. It was just, it was so easy. And then after the unfortunate events of 9 11, this border became a border and the two cities became separate cities and businesses change cultural transfer change so i I would very i have a very unique and lucky position to be there at the end of the 80s early 90s with the music developing with this basically you know freedom of going back and forth sometimes two or three times a day so it wouldn't it wouldn't it it, it would be very difficult to to see that happen now in that same
1: location it sounds a bit vice versa from berlin you know Borders opened up here, and the yeah. city totally changed, and music became such a big deal. Yeah. Before that, of course, not possible. Um, you mentioned your brother already a couple times, Matthew. He's an artist. Is that something that inspired you along the way for your musical career?
0: Yeah, well, you know, when I was... My brother knew he was going to be a painter and an artist, I think, from 11 or 12 and I was just meandering and doing lots of different things. So uh, I think uh, his focus or that he knew exactly what he was going to do or what he wanted to do with his life was really inspiring. And he, along the the, the years, really introduced me to contemporary art, um, even, I would say, Pointed me down the right direction of minimalism, at least visually, and uh, has definitely been a source of creative inspiration and, and discourse from then to today.
1: Mm. I found it quite interesting that you actually compare Mark Rothko to your minimalistic style of music.
0: Yeah, well, I, music is, um, uh, you know, is architecture to mm. me, especially if you take at least my perspective of sitting in front of equipment by myself and trying to architect or build my own personal sonic landscape and my music is quite restrained or you know minimal so there's little particles here and there and um you know that's you know it's nearly visual so being introduced to painters and uh, sculpture, sculpturists um, and being able to actually look at something or walk around a, an installation and think about that in music or frequency terms has definitely inspired certain parts of, of my career.
1: We're getting closer to close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because you did study film in at one stage in your life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, the my the first thing that I thought I was going to do was get into film and special effects. Uh, I was really well, I, I am in, into horror movies and especially sci-fi movies and. In the late 80s, there was also a, a a lot of innovation going on with computer technology that allowed you to do special effects in, inside the computer, and that was my first love, and I actually got accepted to go to a school in Toronto to follow that path, but as that was happening, I just kind of come out of my basement, and as I was practicing DJing, I started going to clubs, I started getting some gigs, and... I had to make a decision. It was like, do I go there, or do I stay and and see what happens in in Detroit?
1: That's a very good point, because so many people still want to become DJs these days. Is that a decision you have to make, either or? Or is it possible to be something else, professional, let's say, a therapist and a DJ? (laughs) Because that's actually someone I know. (laughs) Um,
0: You know, like, for me back then... you know, my mom and dad were really kind of... Guys, just as long as you don't get into too much trouble, like, you know, go for it. They were really, really, really supportive. Um, so I think from 15 or 16, they knew we were both going to go into something creative. And, you know, we were just starting my first record label in the late 80s, early 1990. And things were starting to, you know, develop. Um, you could really feel... Like it, it's hard to explain, but you could really feel that something, you know, magic was happening in Detroit and that you know, I kind of stumbled upon it. You know, you follow different things and what A leads to B and B leads to C, but, you know, we're at the Institute and we're listening and meeting Derek and there was this corner on Gratiot Avenue, we call it Techno Boulevard, because you had Derek's studio, Derek May's studio, you had Kevin Saunderson's studio, and uh, one Atkins' studio, and suddenly I was over there, kind of hanging out. I don't know if I was invited or if I was just kind of the annoying white kid still, but <laughs> I was somehow there. And so when it was like, "Well, now you have to go to Toronto to follow this film dream," it was like, "No way!" It was like, "I'm sure that school can be there. That you know, that institution is not going anywhere." But what's happening right now? Who knows how long it's going to last? Who knows if this is going to take me for the rest of my life? Like it wasn't, it was just like, this is happening now mm-hmm. and I want to be part of it.
1: I'm always amazed also in the documentary that I saw when you uh, mentioned Derek May or Kevin Saunders and then they also uh, have their words in the documentary. It's just like for me, they're like heroes, you know. They're so far away and amazing. And you just hung out with them because you were the annoying white kid. Yeah, but
0: uh, <laughs> the, the, the other thing that I remember about those times, like Derek would come in, like he was early 20s, mid-20s, you know, and Derek was a ball of energy. He was like a mad scientist. It was just like he came in and then he was gone, and you kind of took an hour to figure out what had just happened. And then Kevin came in and was super, you know, like thoughtful and and you know, kind of just happy and would answer any question. And then Juan was also like a uh, aloof kind of scientist that you're like, okay, I don't know what language he's speaking, but this guy is super cool. And but what it what it really what really grabbed me was that. It wasn't, like, I'm a huge Prince fan. Mm. And I had the purple wall, the posters all over when I was a kid. And, you know, Prince was up there. You know, I saw him in Detroit. And even though he was playing at a small venue for 2,000 people, it was, like, super intimate with Prince. But it was us, and it was Prince. There was there was no, you know, we weren't Prince. He was the man. But with Derek and Kevin and, and, and Juan and, and, you know, D-Win, the whole gang, everybody was basically on the same level. And these guys were going to Europe already, playing massive raves. They were doing the M25 rave circuit outside of London, 25,000 people. You know, the Future Sound of Detroit had just come out, this double or triple album. Like, you know, they were on covers of magazines, but you're still talking to them. You're still going to the studio. And in the corner, there was some equipment and a weird version of a Derek May track was bubbling and had kind of press mute on one and wasn't even taking it serious. And you're like, man, I'm like listening to the future right now. And that, you never heard that again. It was like some doodly was doing. So it just, it was like, wow, like maybe, you know, maybe I can be part of this. Maybe I can, you know, be like these guys. Maybe, you know, it, it, it seemed attainable. It just seemed like there was, anything was possible. Something and it, it was seemed very near and very, very intimate
1: since you were such an introvert, was it something you were actually aiming for?
0: No, I, I, I think, I don't think, uh, no, there was something, yeah, there, <laughs> was, there was, I was, you know, because around this time I was starting my, my, my label with John Aquaviva, and we definitely wanted to be part of it. Um, but speaking about technology and going up and playing records, and, you know, um, that was something. Even though I was still very nervous, and I was better than that than sitting down and having a conversation like this. <laughs> so you drink pretty well, though. <laughs> <laughs> that shows how long I've been into this thing to practice this kind of stuff. <laughs> I said to a friend the other day, I was like, "If I came up now as the old Houghton and looked at, okay, what does it take to be a DJ?" okay, I have to do social media, I have to do all this kind of, like, look good and, and like, play this whole game. Uh I wouldn't... I couldn't do it. At least the 17-, 18, 18-year-old 18 Houghton. Why I was able to connect and become part of it was that I met like-minded people, and the way you proved yourself, mm. the way you became part of the conversation was to either play really well or, you know, believe in yourself and do your own thing and make a great record. Or not even make a great record, make a record and, you know, put yourself out there. What you did. So it was, it was, you know, and that was like back to the Music Institute. Like, uh, I don't remember if Matthew and I were the only white kids in the audience, um, but we definitely were the minority. But there was only one reason to be there, it was to... Go onto the dance floor you you couldn't see the DJs Derek and all those guys were up there. Um, it was just about dancing and listening and you know enjoying music
1: always a bit like research as well for your own creative way um, or way to go in Korea. I mean, like listening to, to music, listening to DJs and what they play and so on. Let's get to close <laughs> because that's, uh, an important part of the presence. I would say we talked about the past. Let's talk about a bit of, about the presence. Um, you filmed close two years ago. It's an audio visual experience. Mm-hmm. Is that correct so far?
0: Did we start the show or did we film it? Did you say?
1: We, oh, I said filmed. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: we started the shows close, um, about three years ago, mm-hmm. um, actually at Unsound as a, like a little experiment in a room of 200 people, which was great because we wasn't that good of a show, but we were able to see if some of the ideas worked. And, um, for people who know some of the other things I did earlier in my career uh, around 98, and onwards, I had a series of records and shows called DE9, Effects 909, was kind of when I really started to focus on playing records with drum machines over top and delays and, and effects. And, you know, Close is basically, it's really the continuation of that. You know, I broke it for a while, but I always dreamed of, of DE9 live. Like, mm. what, you know, what would it be... What would be possible if there was technology and software that I could really, you know, manipulate and and create on the on the fly and 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 turn that into? You just push the envelope of DJing. So really, that's where the idea of close came from. But the concept also relies heavily on trying to give people a yeah bring them closer to what's happening on stage you know like show them or give them a feeling of living in that moment of creativity you know of of chaos in a way because my sets aren't planned you know there's no samples there's no melodies programmed it's just kind of on the fly i throw a record in i throw this in and we we you know we're kind of we just go for it
1: before we get a bit more detailed into the setup, did you feel disconnected from the crowd at one stage? Because, for example, at a festival with a couple thousand um, people in the audience, you're just so far away, and it just doesn't feel proper anymore?
0: Yeah. I, um, I love playing all types of sizes and venues, a festival, a club. But as soon as you go over a certain amount of people and you're on a stage, you know, there is only, you know so much connection you can have with the crowd. Um, of course, let's say the music is the foundation and the most important thing that's happening, but also when you scale up to a festival size, you're also not sure how good the sound is for everybody. So my opinion was, if I'm going to play on these larger stages, I need to come up with a show that highlights what... I think real DJing is. Mm. And, you know, not sugarcoat it and put happy faces or landscapes or forests or something behind me. You know, like, let's show people what's happening as much as I can uh, and still make it entertaining uh, and exhilarating and, and, and still allows me to just play as I would in a small club, you know, playing records and just, you know, being an introvert, like, and forgetting that everybody is there just do what I love to do
1: so close it's like a zoom in into the work on stage with you and I watched a video uh, where you introduce close where you open you said it earlier you open up the two tables where on one side you have the the digital part of the music and on the other side it's the modular system which is the analog part and as I understood because I was just like okay I really try to understand what he's trying to tell me um you start layering both the digital and the analog, and you kind of—not kind of—you actually create new music through that. You do take a record, but then you start modulating it as well. Is that
0: correct? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I can do a lot of things, and each each show is different. But if, on on the right side, I have digital decks. I run Tractor. I have three or four records playing or loops of records one bar one beat and i layer those on top of each other to create different bass lines or i use a hi-hat from one song and a bass line from another and on the other side of the on the the left table you have modular synthesizers and uh, an interface to ableton so that i can program drums and add percussion and add um three or three lines and um The idea is to create something for the moment. Mm. So, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I I don't, you know, every festival is different. Even if you play at the same club five nights in a row, you're going to have a different crowd. You're going to have a different emotion. The people are going to give you different emotion back. So I'm up there with a network of equipment to allow me to do what I think a good or great DJ does. That is taking a repertoire of songs and playing and watching the crowd and listening to the crowd and getting feedback and then using that to create and move in a certain direction and adding on top of that a layer of my own musical and percussion ideas to create something that doesn't sound like the people have heard before.
1: Yeah. You also say it's about being spontaneous and synchronizing at the same time. Um, is that maybe the next step from the Model 1 mixer you co-designed?
0: The Model 1 is in there because, it, like you said, I, I co-designed the Model 1, so it there's definitely things in there that um, are very particular to how I like to play. And um, that allows me to layer and it has... The way I set it up, three effects sends. So I have a lot of opportunity to send things into the computer, to send things to the modulars and synchronize and, and be spontaneous. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think, you know, that's, I guess, what I was trying to get at of what, what is a, what is a good DJ? And I think a good DJ is someone who gets up there and is as spontaneous as possible. Like, we're not up there like, Thinking, hearing a melody and playing it on a piano and it's completely spontaneous. There is pre-planning, but I want to feel like I have as much freedom every time I play as possible.
1: I mean, in digital times like these, I think that's just, I mean, self-explanatory because everyone can sync to like, two tracks because they press one button, so there has to be something more to a good DJ these days. So this layering totally makes sense to me, at least. (laughs) Yeah,
0: well, I I think a good DJ is... There's so many different definitions of what a good DJ is. Is it somebody who can play two records together in sync? You know, is it someone who plays the two right records together at the right time? You know, um, I, I... and you know, I can only do what I feel. Mm. You know, and I will take a little jump back to history. You know, I listened when I was really getting into electronic music. The thing that was sucking me in, watching and listening to Derek DJ and Jeff Mills DJ. These guys tore records apart, even when it was just two records and an EQ. You know, they loved every record that they were playing, but they weren't afraid to completely fuck it up. Mm. Like, take the highs, take the mids down, and right at the moment when the vocal that everybody is expecting is going to come in. And you're like, then it's not there. And then you're like, okay, this is different. And those moments were incredible. Those are the moments I remember. And those are the moments I try to create.
1: Okay. Why is there going to be a close-up?
0: Why or when? Why? Mm. <laughs> well, um, really to get people, to allow people to get closer to, to what I'm doing. Um, over the last years, our scene and electronic music and DJ culture has become more and more popular. And it's massive everywhere. Mm. But I actually think the understanding and definition of DJing has become more specific or confused, especially by people coming in, you know, and, and, and watching a DJ on a a large scale show and saying, okay, well, what are they doing? Are they just playing music back and forth? What's creative about this? And so part of Close, part of the Close app is to demonstrate my way of performing and playing and hopefully give some more information, you know, not all the secrets, but be pretty as transparent as possible to have more understanding and appreciation from a wider world for what we do as electronic musicians and DJs and inspire the next generation of, of DJs um, to go beyond just playing one record after another.
1: So new technologies are very important to you.
0: Yeah, you know, we're all here for a brief moment, you know, on the planet and I think, you know, being challenged and being adventurous and um learning, you know, new things, new technologies, trying, uh, you know, how you know, how your ideas can be uh, uh, reimagined mm-hmm. in a different way. This is really exciting stuff. That's like that's the things that make me you know, want to get on stage and want to talk about electronic music. And, uh, you know, that's the thing that grabbed me very early on. That's the thing about techno that grabbed me and just, you know, held on to me all these years.
1: Mm -hmm. So 5G, for example, is ready to launch. Is that something for you as a visionary and artist that comes in handy, um, having even faster data?
0: Yeah, so jumping back to a bit about the Close app, the the app is a way to watch the shows um, and actually look deeper into what's happening. Um, You have the ability to change different camera angles and see different pieces of equipment, which on manipulating you can actually listen into specific channels of the mix, so you can deconstruct the mix and understand actually why it's sounding the way it's sounding. You know, Is this one record? Is this two records? Is this a modular on top? Is this some hi-hats? You can actually get in there and you know, get some more clarity. So the app works in, in its current state where you download a show after it's happened. But imagine being able to use you know, a higher bandwidth you know, um, um, protocol so that as i'm playing you have all those capabilities maybe you're at the show and you just want to watch the show that's totally valid probably should but maybe you're at home or you've gone to, you're at the bar there's too many people you know in the middle of the show and you want to have a different perspective you want to say hey rich is you know doing something cool right now what what's he actually doing and then have the capability to stream all my systems from stage and say, hey, I want to look at the push camera. I want to look at the you know, modular camera. And actually, I want to just listen to the modular right now. Forget what else he's doing. What does that sound like? And that's where I would like to go with this real-time you know, manipulation, real-time um, uh, possibilities with, with technology, with data rates and mobile participation.
1: You know that it's very nerdy stuff again, right? Yeah, and it's maybe not I'm so I'm, I'm, accessible I'm, I'm to the I'm, I'm mainstream. Yeah, is I'm that a, fine I'm, with you? At my,
0: my best, I'm still a nerd.
1: Okay. But it's okay if it's not going to be the high-selling app in, in the world.
0: <laughs> you know, like electronic music, as big as it is, it is so small in the world of culture and music. And I think it's, it's a beautiful little ecosystem to be part of. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm happy to you know, see it, this new generation coming in and nerd out with peers who are my age and talk stories about, you know, why we did things back then to the next generation and and see this, like, again, back to those early days, it was just like, hey, there's something so magic going on right now. Like, I want to be part of it. But we didn't know if that magic was going to last five years or five months Mm -hmm. or 30 years. So to see this whole scene grow and be part of that and help, in my own way, nurture it or, you know, bring transparency to what I do and hopefully, you know, give somebody some inspiration to do something else cool, that's incredible.
1: Let's stick to the new technologies and the, the fast streaming. For example, Beatport invented, the like, a streaming service for DJs. Does it make the USB stick obsolete?
0: Well, uh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> um, whether you have a US, USB stick or it's streamed, it's just about the if that music carrier is robust enough and it's something you can trust. You know, in the early days, people were like, "Oh my God, you, you only can use a CD because if you put a CD in a CDJ, you know your music's going to play." And that was for the people who have already maybe felt that they could leave vinyl. You know, so then it was like, okay, you don't need a CD now. You can trust the USB. So once the bandwidth is there, can we trust, you know, download links for your, for your catalog? For sure. You know, this is, I think we're actually a couple of years, you know, late on this kind of stuff. I think there's one thing to say that having too much music available may confuse you and would be hard to filter, but I think there's a beautiful, opportunity as a performer who wants to play other people's music and manipulate it and maybe add things on top in a time where everything is coming down from the cloud or wirelessly from other people. Like, why does it all, why why does it have to be pre-recorded music? You know, I know some of the producers that I love. Like right now, um, there's a girl from Brazil, Anna. She's killing it. Like Her track's are super strong techno, cool melody. I can basically, if she sends me a, a track, I could walk into a club pretty confidently and put it on without hearing it and know she's going to kill it. So what if I'm playing and little blinker comes up and says Anna is in the studio right now (laughs) and she's jamming and she's pressed it's available to Mm. my circle of DJs or to everybody and I can listen in just like I would listen to a record and I can say well let's bring it in you know and trust your instincts because that's the right thing to do at that right moment and if it doesn't work you adjust you adjust the pitch you adjust the level you adjust the EQ and you're that's what you do as a DJ you're like you're you're there in the moment you're like it, it, you don't know really what's going to happen so if there's you know wireless technologies or ways to allow that to happen in a more exciting for the moment time and bring in some of your colleagues and friends And everybody knows Anna actually right now would be, you know, I have a, I have a guy who's in, um, in Buenos Aires. Nobody knows him. He's sending me killer stuff, but imagine suddenly you're playing one of his songs live and not only do you rock the dance floor, he rocks the dance floor and he gets suddenly known by everybody because then they're going to his homepage and this and that. So this is the kind of future that I would imagine.
1: Yeah. That sounds like a bit of a club revolution, there.
0: Well, I, I don't know if it's a it's a revolution, you know. We're, um, from
1: from stuff you we have in your record box, um, if it's vinyl or like just really record box. Yeah, but a
0: record box also back in the day, you know, one of the things that we loved was to have that secret white label that nobody else had. So there was like this exclusivity thing, you know, you went to a record shop and the, the owner may, you know, knew the, the main DJ, so only you got that. But so there was always ways to have kind of a secret formula, like sprinkle on top at that right moment. I think we're talking about the same thing. Mm. It's just moved on, but it's about playing great music, it's about introducing, you know, new music and new artists to the crowd in front of you. Uh, championing them, and uh, you know, getting inspired by the music they're playing, and and if that can happen in 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 real time, like that's you know, people talk about AI. Uh, oh my God, we're afraid of AI. But if there was little bots out there that kind of knew my preferences as I was playing, and could kind of say, "Well, there's this guy making some cool frequencies over here," just to say, like you know, you should listen to mm-hmm. this. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. Put it in. You know, so it, it, that's, it's new technology, it's high technology, it's 5G or 6G, 7G, but it's the human ear and me or the artist up there who's making those decisions about what you're hearing at that moment.
1: So not every DJ is so ballsy as you are because that sounds like a very futuristic ballsy idea which I totally understand but I have a feeling it'll take at least 20 years or more to get to that no I'll
0: give me a break that's really? going to no maybe 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 if we have to wait 5 years okay
1: well we talk again in 5 yeah. years then
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> after my disastrous close 2025 show when i lose the internet
1: i'll see you again then okay <laughs> um is there any Artistic dream you have, um, which is enabled by new technology, except from the one you just voiced?
0: Wow. Yes, <laughs> um, well, to bend time.
1: Really? Why is that?
0: Because I don't have enough time to do the things I want.
1: Well, then hurry up.
0: Yeah, totally. H.G. <laughs> Wells, where are you?
1: Sorry. <laughs> just be faster. <laughs> um, are the clubs behind you? I mean... Um, following your futuristic dream, the nowadays dream, or are they still a bit um, drawn to the past and how things worked back then? I,
0: th- I think there's a combination of, of everything, uh, like analog and digital. You know, it, it's a bit of, of everything. But you know, I went back to my studio in Canada before Time Warp this year, and my plan, I was going to play some vinyl. and So I went back and I listened to a, ho- a whole bunch of vinyl, and It just didn't sound as good to me as i remember to be completely honest some of my favorite songs you know they sounded great for me because i heard them through a specific mixer at that time through a specific sound system which may not have been as good of a sound system as today but it really suited those records and so Maybe I didn't even hear all the frequencies of those records, but the mastering, the the technique, the the recording, the, the sound system—it it made something very special. So I think it's hard uh, or dangerous to look back and just you know think that everything was better, and that you need to bring this mixer back or this turntable back or a certain style of of, of making music. Um, you need to take ideas from the past but remember where we are today and then again use that combination of then and now to yeah well, i think put it in the right context
1: so if someone starts being a dj now and just decides to play vinyl that's something that's not going to work out or is that no, just, no i'm not uh, saying
0: i'm not saying that i uh, like the i think as a base of DJing, you're playing other people's music or records and then adding on to that. So whether you choose to use CDJs or, or vinyl, or um, it, it, it's up to you. But you just have to remember, I'm coming from a time of mad scientists, of Derek and the gang, when there was no rules and everybody was looking forward. And that's the perspective that I personally prefer to keep and mm. that's what you know that's the lineage that i hope to live up to and keep promoting while i'm here
1: so completely off topic how does the sake fits in there <laughs> <laughs> I he's such that a big sake fan has it in his glass um, um.
0: You wanna okay, this, now people are gonna be like, Oh my god, here goes hot and,
1: um, <laughs> Well that's what well, we're here of, for
0: <laughs> first of all, most most club experiences not all, but most have a bar and people are drinking alcohol. And I've been in enough clubs and parties over the years listening to all types of music and I think everybody here can attest that each alcohol has a different let's call it frequency. It takes you, it gives you energy, it's more heady or whatever. Everyone gets a different feeling, whether you're on vodka, whether you're on tequila, you know, or beer. And, you know, I found, and my opinion is that sake is the right frequency for when I listen to electronic music or when I play electronic music. I think it somehow just finds a beautiful balance and makes sense.
1: And you do have your own...
0: Yeah, I have my own sake uh, line or company uh, because I got sucked into the world of sake traveling through a country that is one of my most favorite countries to visit, uh, Japan, the culture of Japan. I met like-minded people who use technology to brew this great drink and have opinions and, and history And who I enjoy sitting down with, having a sake, you know, talking about what they do and talking about creativity and seeing how they handle drinking sake all night with me on the dance floor later. So it's about communication. And, you know, when I went to Detroit, you know, I was not like any of the people there. I wasn't like Derek or or the the gang, Uh, but somehow I felt like I fit in and somehow I thought I was going to make some friendships or, you know, find my way, you know, and maybe not be the complete weirdo from Canada, which, I, where I really felt completely isolated. Um, and I met, you know, when you meet people like that, whether they're a painter or a sake producer or a musician or architect, when you find a level to communicate on, you find commonality, you find inspiration, and sometimes you also learn about cultures and language, and wow, it's incredible. And that's, you know, music and DJing has allowed me to travel the world and meet these type of people. And um, you've got to, I think, you know, when a fork comes down, and you know, there's, suddenly you're like, oh, whoa, I, never, I didn't see this road coming. Let's go down and, you know, enjoy another adventure.
1: So that sounds like a pretty nice sentence to close our little chat here. Keep our eyes open and maybe take sometimes a road less traveled by.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think, think of a great ending there. But and it just that has didn't made come. all the difference
1: to cite Robert Frost. Anyway, thank you so much for yeah. joining our Electronic Beats podcast here yeah. live on stage at Factory. Yeah. And thank Which you. Hot for, him, thank you for everyone? all the people in front of us das ja, schade, dass die Zeit so schnell vorbei war, das war das Interview mit Richie Hawtin. Da wir das ja aber vor Live Publikum aufgenommen haben, gab es für diejenigen, die dort waren, noch die Möglichkeit ein paar Fragen zu stellen und das hört ihr
2: jetzt. Hello, I have a question um, about age and electronic music. Uh, just last week Dixon was saying that uh, he can't imagine himself playing at 50 the whole like DJ Circuit. <lacht> Um, So do you think we are going to get Rolling Stones of techno like playing in their 70s?
0: (laughs) Well, I'm 50 next year and I'm not quitting next year, put it like that. And honestly, I think if there is a role model for what a DJ can be, I think Mick Jagger is an incredible role model. Like it's about energy. It's about getting, you know, on stage and communicating and believing in what you do and sending a musical sonic message out. I don't know how long I can do that, but I'm going to try to do it as long as Mick Jagger. I'm already hearing that's going to be like the the, the, the quote. I'm going to do it as long as Mick Jagger. Hello. Um, I'm curious about, about the app and the amount of risk that you, maybe yourself, are allowing to get in. Uh, I unfortunately don't think that the club scene is in as healthy stage as it could be when it comes to education of the audience, when it comes to technology available, when it comes to what is actually played around the world on the music festivals, but it's still not allowed to be played on a random Friday, Saturday club situation in something which is maybe not Berlin, maybe not an open-minded club in a particularly open-minded city. So I think actually, unfortunately, the progress is not achieved the risks are not being taken. No, I think um, I think there's um, truth in what you're saying. I think what we've seen is a huge explosion of our culture, of our scene. Um, and also one of the reasons that Close came, and even this app, um, is there's more people who think they're involved or who think they understand where this culture came from, but don't. There's more festivals than ever before. And not everybody is at the festival to go and hear their favorite DJ. Some are there for fashion. Some are there to get laid. You know, there's lots of different reasons. And they're all valid reasons. But I think there's still, on a club level, an incredible um, network of strong underground clubs, you know, all over the world that are continuing to develop, you know, on... The idea of electronic music. You know, will we see a complete revolution in sound or in club architecture? You know, I think it's more incremental changes now because a lot of things happened in the early 90s and there's so many more rules about what you do and what techno is and techno needs a 909 and a hi hat and a clap. You know, it, 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 it's difficult and sometimes annoying how many rules, but then it's like, well, Do we want to? Do I want to complain about that? Or do I also want to look at it and say, wow, look how huge techno is in 2019 on a cool underground level? You know, that's pretty damn cool that what the guys started in Detroit and what Kraftwerk started, that it's got to this stage that we're communicating and more people around the world than ever before hear electronically produced music and say, Hey, that's pretty cool.
3: Hi, hi Richie. Here, I'm. Um, hey, all right, in the back here. Okay. Hey, Thomas. Nice to meet you. Um, I want to ask you a question. As a producer myself, uh, I want to ask you as a creative: How do you minimize the distraction? You were talking about all social media and all that, like you know, because it can influence uh, creative how he's perceived or what he should be doing pretty much, you know, because like you may be trying to do your thing and then you see like, you know, all this destruction, all this sort of like uh, things that put you down to the box. Like, yeah, you should be like that. You should do this sound. How do you minimize yourself or, yeah, how did you evolve? Like, you know, because obviously you started with social media, we're in big, but now it's different age.
0: Well, I think as we were talking about with my belief in technology and, and networks, uh, I'm hugely excited by what technology gives us especially mobile technology and uh data rates and downloads uh and just how connected the world is like i can travel all over the world now stay in touch with my family um and not be by myself in the hotel room trying to get the 300 baud modem to work so i could send my you know brother or my mama a high you know um so there's lots of great changes but I just think it's very important to disconnect sometimes. And as a producer and as a creative, you know, it's about you. Whether you're going to make it big or not, the only thing that you can do is take your own unique idea and sound and emotion and bring it to the people. And I think you need to do that as direct as possible. So I think because there's so much going on all the time, the best thing would be to have longer moments of disconnection while you 're in the creative mode. you know usually when I go into plastic man phase or you know I can feel it coming and then I want to record as much as possible for two, three, four months and If I want to be successful in that, not only having the time to record but also The ability to think about what i'm doing and really get into my own ideas in my own head i have to step back to that kind of introverted nerd and disconnect a bit from the rest of the world and focus on my ideas
3: i was wondering you were talking about your app Uh, my question is what is your plan to uh, with this app to do with this app so how is it going to evolve over the time the release is called close
0: combined and so I took a number of shows from last year and have re-edited and created a show that never existed before. And it's a little bit like Ozo old Effects DE9 records where it was loops and, and manipulated, but this is on an audio-visual level, which it also has interactive levels where you can actually manipulate and listen in. Um, and that is a, let's say, archival release, something that I've spent time in the studio uh, that will be delivered when it gets released. But there will be a live real-time component that slowly becomes more unlocked over the later part of the year.
3: Hi, Richie. My name is Jarno. And um, I'm really, really excited to hear what you are doing with the app. And of course, like everybody is really excited what you're going to do with the future. But I have a very Specific question about clothes and how you open the stage to the audience. Like, I can tell you, I had almost the identical childhood, but in Finland, where it was really cold, really dark, and we drink also something really strong just to keep our heads together. But anyway, so I understand that your idea of, you know, creating and controlling everything is your world. You want to control the whole scene, but at the same time, you want to let kids come you know, closer to you, but you still don't let them touch the main controller. Why is that?
0: Well, you don't know where the app will go later.
3: Really? <laughs> okay. Well,
0: there is some, um, there's a roadmap for the app that may or may not be envisioned depending on if we're able to do it technologically. Uh, with allowing people to grab onto what I'm doing. Um, but back to the question of, of how it is now, um, I think the app is going in that direction. You know, I want Close is there to be as transparent as possible, it's there to allow people to listen in, um, see what I'm about to bring in, see what m- melodies I'm doing, and deconstruct how I'm performing to understand how I perform. So once people understand that, perhaps, and you can stream all that information in real time, perhaps there is a moment in the future where that can also be manipulated in real time by somebody other than me.
3: Perhaps, perhaps. But good luck for your journey. This is really interesting, and I want to be one of the first ones who manipulate your mixer. So,
2: thank you so much. Thank you. You've given a great elaboration of how digital technology has opened up all of these possibilities. And now we're living in a world where basically creatives can do almost anything they want um, with infinite possibilities to access other people's work and so on and so forth. But to contrast that with how you got started, where you had in many ways very limited resources, you talked about how Derek May and, and Jeff Mills had sometimes two records, but they ripped it apart. So in a way... The the, the the limitation on resources forced creativity and I remember I can't remember the exact details of the story but I remember watching a documentary on you and uh, at one point you, you forced yourself to produce one track every month and um, so you were deliberately limiting yourself in terms of time so In what ways do you think, in this world of infinite possibilities, creatives should deliberately restrict themselves now in order to find their voice and not get too overwhelmed with all the possibilities?
0: Yeah, I I actually I think that question ties into the other question also about the noise around you for social media and just everyday life. Um, You you definitely need to find time to um, focus on your own ideas and part of that is finding a let's call it an, 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 the instrument of your choice like I you know our instrument isn't a clarinet or a guitar I think our instrument is a network of, of of equipment and I don't think you need a lot of equipment to be creative and it is really that is the a very hard thing to find these days because of all the different possibilities. And I've I've, I've also seen it in in close. Like the first 10 or 12, 15 shows, I kept changing things because I thought I could make it better. And it wasn't until last summer, I think it was Madrid, I decided to put a 303 in the mix. And as soon as I did that, And it was like this machine that I was really in tune with. It gelled everything together. And since that time, those five or six, seven shows, I've left the setup basically the same and have started to play deeper and deeper into the setup. And at the end of last year, uh, which the close combined app movie that's coming out, the shows that it's based on were my best shows because I finally had found the right setup there was limitations because of actually how much we could take with us on the, on the road and, and all this. So that limitation definitely finally allowed me to envision close to the level that I wanted to. Um, but yeah, it's, um, and, and again, back to like you were talking about concept one, which I did in 1996 when I also did the, the last Plastic Man album, EX. I did that in a very short time and, My challenge for that was, I was really inspired by a couple of producers who were doing everything in the box. And it's that's... Me coming from 909s and synthesizers all over the floor, going in, in the box is very difficult. But I was like, okay, let me see if I can make an album that way. And I decided I'm only going to use this plug-in for the 303, you know, the D16 one, not the audio realism, both good. And limited myself, and I got results that I was very happy with. So... Um, anyone who who I think has a creative urge or tendency in whatever faculty, you have to, you do have to limit yourself. You have to at one moment say, now I'm going to paint. Now I'm going to make music and stop doodling or reading create digital music, which has a great post every day about something I want to try, you know, um, and actually get to recording
1: or creating. Das war also Richie Horton. Ich hoffe, ihr habt genauso viel Interesse an diesem Gespräch gefunden wie ich. Ich war wirklich beeindruckt zwischendurch, weil er so schön erzählt hat, wie er als kleiner, dünner, weißer Junge in Detroit mit den ganz Großen schon so gemingelt hat. Und erst gar nicht so richtig ja, für vollgenommen wurde und dann aber zu so einer großen Nummer gewachsen ist, dass die ganzen Detroiter DJ-Legenden auf einmal so diese ah momente mit Richie Horton hatten. Übrigens, ich habe ja mit Richie über sein Experiment Close Combined gesprochen und das enthält eine interaktive App, die euch direkt mit seinen Close-Live-Shows interagieren lässt. Diese App... Für alle, die richtig doll Bock drauf haben, erscheint am 6. September als Free Download im App Store oder auch im Google Play Store und wurde in Zusammenarbeit mit Telekom Electronic Beats entwickelt. Wenn ihr noch nicht genug habt, findet ihr auf eb.net noch mehr Material zu Richie Horton, zum Beispiel, und das ist wirklich mega, mega geil, das Slices Feature ähm, über Richie, Empfehlung hoch 1000 von mir zum Anschauen. Schaut am besten in die Shownotes, wenn euch das alles interessiert, denn das war viel Info zum Hören. Auf einmal nachlesen funktioniert immer besser. Ich wünsche euch noch eine ganz tolle Zeit. Ich freue mich auf euer Feedback. See you soon, beziehungsweise im Club. Das war der Telekom Electronic Beats Podcast. Abonniert den Podcast bei Apple, Soundcloud, Spotify oder Deezer. Wir sehen uns im Club. Bis dann.